Hi, Education Monsters. Hello, hello. We here. We here. We have Andrew from Montreal. I'm also in Montreal, and you might hear some snowplow in the background because you just snowed. Yep. The benefits of growing up in Canada. I'm actually from northern Alberta, so the snow that we have here in Montreal, it's like a little powder dusting compared to what we have in northern Alberta. Like where I'm from, you can get about 180 meters of snow, so it's quite a lot. So snowplows are not a new invention to me. That um, is so funny because, like, as you were talking, one just like came down the streets. I'm just thinking, you know what? This could be like the best podcast recording because it's so representative of what we're living right now. You know, like winters in Montreal or winters in Canada in general, people are always wondering, how are you surviving? Like, how do we make this like bearable? Because like some people are so scared and it's that fear that makes them not want to move here. But there's so many other ways you can equip yourself, including a snowplow. Like the city's yeah. pretty good about it. Especially with like, you know, a good poutine and maple gravy with top smoked meat, like the typical Montreal dish. My God, Andrew, tell me about it do you have a favorite poutine here so i don't have a specific favorite poutine but i had this friend once and we were discussing the best poutines and what would make a great poutine and we both agreed on the same thing she's from quebec i'm from alberta and we agreed that the fries they have to be crispy you cannot have fries that are soggy it doesn't make a good poutine the cheese curds are another good thing costco has really good cheese curds on their poutine i have to say it's one of the best and then the sauce it It can't be a really heavy sauce. It can't be too light. It has to be that good in between, full of flavor, not too, too salty and not too, too bland either. Just to create that good combination of like the cheese curds melting. And that's the thing too. A good poutine, the cheese has to melt. Um, it cannot be cheese shredded. It has to be cheese curds. But a poutine is like not a go-to food for everything, but it's like, okay, you're drunk and you need to cure your hangover. Exactly. <laughs> you just had a break. Up, a difficult breakup yeah. well poutine is now like slide over ben and jerry's i'm taking my poutine right poutine's your friend as we've learned exactly <laughs> nice nice so it's like an acquired taste i wonder if you sort of grew up with poutine in alberta or if it's more something that you got into as you came as you moved here to montreal so Growing up in Alberta, we really didn't have it up until I think the last five, six years I was living there. So when it did come, it was quite new, but I tried it and I'm like, this is really good. I'm not a fussy eater to begin with. It's part of my cultural background, being half Caribbean, half Dutch, having friends from the Middle East, from Latin America, from Asia. Like I've had food from all over and I just adore food in general. That is crazy because I also have a diverse background so my family's Cambodian and I was born in France the thing is it just didn't match anything that I've tasted before like the greasiness the texture the heaviness to me was like my gosh it's even more American than American you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly I totally agree and the funny thing is the Americans have their own version they call it chili cheese fries or carnival fries apparently wait where does that come from yeah I I don't know I um, I was discussing it with an American in one of the bar here in Montreal and um, I said oh have you had poutine yet and they're like what's poutine and I said well you have to try it it's like 
fries and gravy and cheese. And he's like, oh, yeah, we have like chili cheese fries or carnival fries in the States. It's a little bit different as it's not gravy, but actually chili. And instead of like cheese curds, it's like cheese sauce. But it's like practically the same concept. Yeah, although I've seen a lot of variations on the on the poutine in the States, like including people who just put spaghetti on it. And I don't know if you came across uh, this Boston website. And it shows like the worst poutine in Boston. And mm. one is just like literally like a potato with cheese curd and gravy. Like a potato. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That is terrible. It is terrible. Like, so like you have to define this gray area of where does poutine stop. Exactly. <laughs> like I knew of this one restaurant back home and it was called New York Fries. And they had like butter chicken poutine, jalapeno and like cheddar cheese poutine. Like it was really good. I'm very proud now that I live in Quebec and I consider myself like a Quebecer because I've lived here so long that it's like, I don't consider this a hundred percent of a poutine. I think it's like, you know, a good attempt. But if you go to like La Banquise, which is like a famous restaurant here in Montreal, I really hope they're still open, especially with like COVID and whatnot. It's like this restaurant that serves only poutine. And like, they've got like over a hundred variations. There's always a lineup. It's very popular. It's like one of Montreal's tourist destinations. Is that something you would personally recommend? Because I do agree with the quantity. That's nice and touristy, but in terms of quality, I felt like they could improve. Yeah. They were basically like Costco ingredients. Exactly. For quality, it's very hard to find the best quality. I personally like that of uh, Ruben's Deli. They have, in my opinion, the best smoked meat in Montreal. They have the best poutine in Montreal. Like Ruben's Deli, they're really, really good. I've also had a really good great poutine it was at um la fleur la fleur i find is a really good poutine as well okay thank you for the recommendation and hopefully this will make people want to try some more varieties so and personally my favorite poutine was in la berger that's in a myland it's really fancy but it's worth it literally like the best poutine ever and you know what it's the morning i haven't had breakfast so <laughs> you're teasing me andrew don't worry i haven't had breakfast myself it's been a relaxing saturday morning normally my saturdays they're like i get up i clean and i cook the traditional caribbean breakfast and then i'm like okay let's relax okay so we took a while to introduce the poutine which was super important but how about we introduce yourself <laughs> <laughs> right so here's what i know from you so we're we met through friends and it's been nice <laughs> i like talking with you and so far i know you have a certificate of french language and you plan to be an urban planner speaking a million languages so how about i'll let you introduce yourself on the cultural part language part which is absolutely important sure i grew up in northern alberta um my mom she's from the caribbean a small island nation called grenada which was discovered by christopher columbus sold to the french then sold to the english and then we gained our independence 47 years ago but we are under the commonwealth of the united kingdom so you'll still see the queen on our money uh, which is the east caribbean dollar my dad's side he was born and raised in canada but his family is dutch and like scottish british irish russian mix i grew up more with the dutch side than any of the other cultures so i really consider myself more half Dutch, half Grenadian. So my background's kind of culturally mixed because then on top of it being raised in Northern Alberta where it's like not very many immigrants when I was growing up. Now you go there, it's like, oh, 
there's a lot more different restaurants, different uh, ethnicities, which I think is a great thing. But growing up, it was like very weird to be the odd one out. Mm -hmm, definitely. So although you were born there, did you consider yourself as an immigrant? So I would consider myself sort of like an immigrant. I'm proud of Canada. I'm very happy to be in this country, but I've never felt close to it culturally. I'm very proud to be a Canadian. Not gonna lie there. But it depends from person to person in Canada. There is a lot of racial tension here in Canada. Um, it's more discreet. For example, in the dating world, there's often preferences of like, oh, I don't want to date this person because, you know, they're from this background culturally. And it happens both ways. It's something that needs to be broken down because it should be judged on the person's character and then get into it culturally and see like because not every person will fit that particular culture and based on what happened in 2020 with the whole movements of black lives matter how do you feel about it do you feel more on the white side do you feel more on the colored side do you feel on both definitely more on the black side mm -hmm. and the reason why is because i see the injustices i see the not only see it but i've lived it i've had garbage thrown at me for no apparent reason I was walking on the street and I've had it happen. I've had a lady told me to go back to my country and I'm like, you realize I am born in this country, right? I've had other people tell me that, you know, like they've called me the N-word to my face. I'm born with a smart mouth. So I'm very quick at how to reply to these comments. So with Black Lives Matter, like it's something that, you know, people should be taking into account because like even today, in COVID times, okay? I'll give you an example. This Montreal woman went to a uni pre, and this was a few weeks ago, so this is quite recent. And black people's hair and white people's hair, they're two different uh, textures. So black people's hair, they need a lot more loving care. There's a lot more that goes into it. And she went to the uni pre, right? And all the shampoos that are mainstream are essential. They're not blocked off. But when you get into like the shampoos made for like specific black hair, cocoa butter, shea butter, all these things, they're blocked off. Even me, I'm like, I can't put this stuff in my hair. This stuff will damage my hair. I need that stuff. And you're saying it's not essential? No, like, like this if is 2020. Yeah, you're denying a certain population of their shampoo. Exactly. It, it makes no sense. Like, I don't want to put no L'Oreal or Gagne in my hair. That is crazy. Wow, that's super interesting. Yeah, like, it's, um, it's crazy that it's happening. Like, that's just one of the main instances. There's times where you'll see people and they just assume right off the bat that um, because I'm wearing maybe a hoodie, I'm part of a gang. Even though my hoodie says Gap, like I'm part of a <laughs> gang. It's, it's hilarious. I've had people like when I walk into an elevator, they've clutched their, their bags like I'm going to steal it. And I'm just like, you know, listening to music. I've got my own bag and like I've got my like tablet out. I'm reading like the news or whatever. So and, like clutch your bag as well, you know? <laughs> like they're like clutching their bag and i'm like okay you realize that i could probably buy that bag that i don't need to be stealing it off of you just so like it, it just makes no sense <laughs> that's insane because we're also talking about colorism right like several shades of black and it seems like like black people with a lighter shade seems to have some quote-unquote luck for being lighter in color but also they're not fully white as well so they don't get the same privilege as white people like how do you situate yourself or how do you feel about that there's definitely col colorism definitely exists the lighter you are the like i know i have privileges that my friend from haiti does not have 
And I accept that at the same time, she has some privileges that I don't get because I remember like even here in Montreal, when we have our Caribbean carnival, a lot of people don't think I'm Caribbean because I'm lighter skinned. And then they see me dance and they're like, yeah, he's Caribbean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to see that. You know, when Carrie Festa comes on, like you could come and see, but I'm just wondering what happens Pony Road? It stays Pony Road, okay? Like we don't put this on YouTube. We're not putting this on Instagram. I've lived through that experience once. I don't need to live through it again. Uh, <laughs> But um, I've seen it happen where uh, I have a friend from Barbados and you wouldn't think she was from Barbados. Blonde hair, blue eyes, and like completely fair skinned. But when you hear her speak, it's like, oh yeah, you're definitely from Barbados. There's no denying it. And a lot of people forget that, you know, even though the Caribbean is mostly made up of Africans and slavery and whatnot, there's still a lot of people that are mixed. My family, for one. There's a lot of people that are African, yes, but there's also a lot of people that are from India. There's a lot of people that are Carib and Arawak. Um, there's my ancestors that were also French and English that, uh, you know, they mingled with the slaves. And Grenada, it's a small island. Montreal Island is actually bigger than Grenada by 20 kilometers. So like <laughs> Grenada is a tiny, tiny island. Okay. So almost everyone knows everyone on the island. I've... Um, it's funny because I've met my cousin here in Montreal and we were able to trace families back into the Caribbean, which I thought this is just too cool because we started off as friends, right? And then so like when we started talking and stuff, it's like, okay, now we got to really search this because it was so cool. I've met people from Grenada and like, even though we're not related, it's like, oh yeah, I definitely have heard of your family. I definitely know of your family. Like, it's just a weird, weird thing being from the Caribbean. There's like this unspoken rule of you don't date anyone from your island because there's a small possibility that you could be related to them. <laughs> that is funny. So you're talking about this mixed, um, all the all the different colors and all the mix of cultures because it is pretty cosmopolitan. But like, do you think that it's a beautiful mix or do you think that it's a sad mix because of the history of the past livery? How do you view that? Because most people envy the happy saying, oh, it's going to be the future, you know? everyone's going to be brown. And so there's no notion of race anymore because we're all going to be mixed, basically. But in the case of the Caribbean, it has this heavy, heavy past. It does have a heavy past, but I, I'm very happy to be mixed. I'm very proud of being, you know, representing all time 473 Grenada. But I'm also happy of being Dutch as well. I know I've never grown up in either or country but I'm very proud of my heritage. And I know both national anthems well enough that I, I know that much pride. I have both flags in my home. I try and associate with both groups when I can. I've gone to meetups here for Grenada Day in Montreal and meet the prime minister of Grenada, which was an honor. I've gone to the Netherlands. I've gone through Dutch meetups here. I've been to Grenada as well because I take so much pride in knowing, knowing that they're a part of me. I do have other parts of me that I, I would like to know more about, but unfortunately, I never grew up with them. Um, so I don't associate much because I never grew up with them. But at the same time, I'm not going to deny it that it, it makes up who I am. And do people in your family still talk about the past slavery or not at all? Not at all. It's a topic that did, because it happened so long ago, it doesn't really come up with, uh, in conversation. My mom, she taught us about it for sure because she said it's important that we know what our ancestors went through 
to get to what we're at today. And I think it's important not only for like people of color to know, but people that are of non-color to know because of slavery, I'm here today. I think that's very important to acknowledge the foods and how they've mingled and changed. Like there's a lot of fusion cuisines, one of my favorites because it mixes like Indian and African and like Caribbean. It's just like this huge mishmash. There's even Asian influences. And I think it's like one of the best foods in the world because it has literally everything. And it's all due to the fact of having slaves there and people being forced to intermingle with each other. I'm not going to ignore the fact that, you know, it was a terrible time. It was a terrible time. It should never happen again. That's definitely for sure. And it still is happening, um, which is a scary thing to think about. Surinamese food is my cultural upbringing is so different. And it's funny too, because I was speaking with a friend from France. And when I said, oh yeah, we've had fish for breakfast. And they looked at me and they're like, fish for breakfast? That's disgusting. We would never have fish for breakfast, right? But for me, being Caribbean, like fish cake with like fried bakes, cocoa tea, like these are all things that I grew up with. Sounds delicious. Like what are they talking about? They're clearly missing out on life. Exactly. It's a very hearty filling breakfast, uh, but it's to get you through the day. And most of the time when I make this, I don't have to really eat lunch because I'm still full from breakfast. So uh, it's really good because it keeps you going throughout the whole day. That's convenient too, so that you don't have to carry like a lunchbox with you. Exactly. The only thing is it takes so long to make. (laughs) But if it's worth it though, I'd rather have quality than quantity, right? Exactly. Uh, And that's how I am with my food. I'm a big cook in general. I love to cook and I'm actually transitioning now to more vegan style. I'm starting to learn to cook a lot more vegan food. And I have to say, for any vegans listening out there, you guys are like the MacGyvers in the kitchen. Like you can make anything out of like just a few ingredients that most people would be like, it would take days or weeks or like there's no way that they can make this in the home kitchen. So like, for example, vegan sour cream made of like tofu and like lemon juice and like you add your spices and flavors and it's like really good. Of course, it doesn't taste like the actual sour cream, but it's a good enough substitute that like on its own, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's probably healthier too. You don't have all the fat that gives you the cholesterol and also it's reducing your carbon footprint and using less animal products. So kudos to you. And uh, to all the people who can make it, I feel like it's something that shouldn't be considered a diet, but rather it's just the way you eat. You know, you can just eat that for the rest of your life. It doesn't feel like you're deprived of animal products. You just like how you eat. Exactly. Like one of the things that I've noticed too is when I did start, there was so much happening in the body wise. Like I noticed like my skin started to clear up. I used to have like all these zits and whatnot. And like these started to clear up. My stomach, it actually started to shrink. I'm like, I'm losing weight. This is a good sign. This is a really good sign, right? (laughs) Um, there are some like disgusting, disturbing parts that I will not share on the podcast. Of course, there's vegan channels for that. You can look up, but, um, for example, like I've noticed that, uh, I just feel a little bit more energized. I feel just a lot more well with the body. But also did you start feeling tired at first and then energized or was it energized right away? Energized right away. Like I just felt like, where's all this energy coming from? Like it was just weird because I used to feel so tired going to work, coming 
coming home from work, I just constantly, constantly felt tired. Now it's like, okay, I don't feel heavy after eating a meal. I don't feel like, okay, I've just eaten a meal. I want to sleep. Unless, of course, I make Grenada's national dish. That's going to be forever something that's heavy. But... I mean, for the most part, you feel like very ready to t- conquer the day, take on the world. That's really cool. My mom, she doesn't like Caribbean food that much. I love it. I grew up more with my grandmother making it than my mom making it. My dad, he doesn't like Dutch food that much. And I personally don't that much. But I don't mind eating it once in a while because it's a comforting food. But I prefer Caribbean food just because of a lot more spice, a lot more intense flavor. Yeah. So Andrew, tell us more about your cookbook. So it's actually not my cookbook, but um, <laughs> it is definitely a cookbook that I highly recommend. I've tried a lot of vegan cookbooks, and I really wish that the last vegan cookbook I bought was my first. And the reason why is I would have saved myself so much money had I bought this as my first cookbook. It's called uh, Caribbean. It's by a Bajan author, someone from Barbados. Her name is Tamer Mason. And so when I bought it, my first thought was like, hold on, is this a real Caribbean vegan cookbook with someone that knows the culture, with someone that knows all the flavors and the spices that go into it? Or is this someone that is like from Canada or the States that went on to like Jamaica in the resort and it's like oh I'm an expert now in Caribbean food that hasn't had any chance to deal with the locals so when I picked it up I started reading the recipes and like not only is there recipes but she leaves little anecdotes little stories about how the recipe came about how she learned it and she's made a YouTube channel she's got a really good Instagram with her husband Um, they're now actually selling products that you can get in the UK I'm waiting for them to ship in Canada and I've actually spoken to her through Instagram it was really cool to like have that chat and be like I'm such a big fan that I've bought your book as paperback as an ebook so that when I'm on vacation I can still use it and like cook from it I've given it to friends and family as well because it's just that great of a cookbook that's amazing and do you think that it's the fact that it's related to Caribbean food which you're familiar with so it's not too much of a you know black and white change it's something that you can slowly ease into because those are flavors that are familiar with your palate and it's something that oh this should taste like this or this should taste like that so i have to say that's partly the reason but not fully because there's still things in there that if you're a new time person to the caribbean food or if you're a new time to vegan food in general this is just a great book even if you're new to cooking this is a great book because her recipes are clear they really uh break down into like what the ingredients are there's pictures as well to show some of the ingredients that you may not be familiar with such as like breadfruit or dashing or um plantain but then the directions are written in such a clear way where you'll be able to understand exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. Do you have issues sometimes finding products and ingredients here in Canada? When it comes to Caribbean cooking, it can be a little bit of an issue. It's partly due to the climate and... Uh, partly due to the um, the seasons in the Caribbean. With COVID now, it also affects the shipping and the handling of everything. So there's a lot of um, times where I'm having to hunt for it. I've noticed, though, that a lot of Asian grocery stores do sell most of the products. And then some of the products I try and make on my own. For example, when I can't find hot sauce, like uh, we have a special hot sauce where we're made with scotch bonnet. I'll make that myself. And um, I actually saw it through a video the cookbook's author Tamer Mason and so I've kind of adapted the recipe to suit my needs um, 
So instead of just like, you know, a plain Tabasco sauce, which like we Caribbean people, we rarely use Tabasco. We use like our own homemade pepper sauce. But in Canada, it's like Tabasco, Fred's, Frank's Red Hot Sauce or Sriracha, right? Whereas we're like mango and pineapple and like seasoning peppers all combined to create this like rich yellow spicy hot sauce that sounds really delicious and very flavorful i think i do i did remember having this for breakfast as well and you know what it's not something so unusual because like the spice kicks you like it sort of wakes you up just like ginger turmeric it's those flavors that give you energy instead of taking caffeine you know i went on vacation to uh, the caribbean several times i've been to martinique i've been to guadeloupe and i've also been to santa lucia and every time I felt like breakfast was the best part because you know like the lunch and the dinner could be some sort of rice some rice dish with fish and some vegetables but like breakfast had so many colors they also bring you like those fresh juices and it's just so beautiful that you can wake up to that and not just like plain bagel with cream cheese or something exactly the typical Montrealer breakfast (laughs) (laughs) not saying anything bad about Vermont bagel (laughs) no I actually I really like Montreal bagels I like New York bagels I like anything really I'm not a fussy either but when it comes back to like you know the ground provisions the cocoa tea which like that's another thing too everyone here in Canada they grew up with like carnation hot chocolate or Nesquik hot chocolate so when our family there was always the designated person to grate the cocoa because we actually grow cocoa on Grenada so we actually have like the pure pure chocolate like no sugar no nothing so there's a huge process goes into like okay from the tree to like uh, the ground cocoa balls and sometimes they're sold as sticks I know in St. Lucia it's more known as sticks but in Grenada we have like ball form and so we would grate these as a kid have the water boiling with like cinnamon nutmeg bay leaf I add vanilla in mine because I love the flavor of vanilla and then we'll boil it as like this rich oily uh, chocolatey drink that you would then add like evaporated milk to or sometimes just plain milk and then like a little bit of sugar to sweeten as well because Grenada was colonized by the French we have what we call farin which is comes from the French word from flour but it's from ground up cassava so we would put this in the cocoa tea and then we pour the cocoa tea on top of it and it's like a meal in itself because you've got like that starch from the cassava that you're eating with the cocoa tea that sounds genius and it actually sounds so healthy because in St. Lucia I remember having visited this um, cocoa farm and they guide you through all the process and it's very very lengthy but it's also not what you expect from a factory you know where everything goes fast here on the island everything was about slowly roasted by the sun and also you could plant your own tree and then come back years later and it would still be there recorded with your name so it was like very fantastic I had a great experience and next to it was a chocolate restaurant where everything every single dish and drink had cocoa nibs in it and you'd, you it would be so surprising because it tastes nothing like the commercial you know overly sweet and this quick like you were mentioning it was definitely like bitter and it it tasted like so different and that's when you know how products have been altered to fit the western taste of wanting sugar wanting fat wanting this addictive taste and sometimes we just lose the the real flavor of it and the good thing about this too it being it that it's the pure form you're getting caffeine like i didn't really grow up having coffee for breakfast i grew up with more tea and cocoa we would call it cocoa for short but growing up you know it as cocoa tea some people will call it hot chocolate i'm fine 
fine with that. But for me, it will always be cocoa tea. And like you get like the good oils, like the good oils for the chocolate. You get the good um, flavor, um, not being overly, overly sweet. And it's just, it's this beautiful combination. And like, that's only like the drink, right? We still have a full meal to go through. Like you have like fried <laughs> fish right, cake, right. like fried fish cake was something that it's, um, they call them fritters here in Canada. And it's basically flat like a pancake because it's made from a batter with like salted fish boiled, like uh, put into the batter. And then um, you've got like some hot uh, sauce that is in it. And then like you just fry it. And so you would have this. And then we have what's called fried bake as well. And fried bake, it, everyone's like, it's funny because everyone's like, why is it fried bake? Like a lot of people, they can't wrap their minds, minds around it. And it's basically this bread that you would take. So you take this dough. It's a simple dough. And you fry it in oil and so the outside becomes fried but the inside actually bakes while it's frying and so it's really delicious it's really what makes a caribbean you can't have a breakfast without fried bake in the caribbean that is so cool i'm looking forward to trying it cool. yeah like uh one of these days i'll have you come over and you can try like all the food i will I, like <laughs> I, I say know. i cook a lot so i don't mind sharing my food as well oh my god yes so looking forward to it i'll bring you cambodian food too oh i've never had cambodian food so i am looking forward to trying that yes i love cooking as well so it's a deal okay so i I also wanted to ask you this question because during the Coco Plantation tour, we also got this big speech about climate change and how the cocoa plantations are not surviving as good as before. And it's also making it more expensive to produce it because, you know, with uh, the rising temperature, it might not be sustained the same way. And also with deforestation, what do you think about that? And how can we stop it? And so, because chocolate is one of people's favorite foods, you know? And one of the things I think to fight climate change is being more environmentally conscious. So what does that all entail? Well, trying to buy quality versus quantity again it's something that you know we used to do back in the old days like my great-grandmother who came from the netherlands she would always fix anything until she could not fix it anymore before throwing it out whereas people of my generation they're like okay it's broken let's get rid of it and buy a new one right away so what i recommend is like trying to figure out how to become more low waste zero waste going to secondhand shops not only does going to the secondhand shops help with the environment but it also helps with the local economy you're giving people that normally would not get a chance to work at a big chain store to get that income because a lot of these uh secondhand shops they hire people with uh, disabilities as well or with um like different learning methods or, or just like people that are atypical versus neurotypical. I think it's something that's very, very important. I think that, you know, looking at uh, eating out less and uh, eating less animal byproducts as well, it helps a lot. I'm not saying fully go vegan. I know there's some people that were like, yeah, let's do it. And others that like, you know, they can't do it. It's fine. Whichever works. This is where Swedish lagom comes into play. It's a term where it means just right. And what's lagom for me could be completely not lagom for you and vice versa so i think 
this is one of the ways to just kind of help with climate change was trying to figure out what's that right balance and trying to cut down on cheap, cheap things that are not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Especially things made out of plastic and that are easily polluting the oceans. And also it's a full cycle because we eat the fish and then we're also getting ourselves unhealthier. The best thing we can do for, for now is like communicate, talk about it, educate people and make sure that people don't think it's a hoax, you know. Like I don't remember the last time that I've actually asked for a plastic shopping bag because I normally just carry my shopping bags with me. And this is a small thing, but it works. And there are some people that's like, well, I forgot it at home. If you are forgetting it at home, then don't buy it. Go right back to your home, go right back to grab it and then come back and buy it. Two things are going to happen. Either A, you're going to save yourself money because you're like, oh, I don't want it anymore. Or two, you're actually going to go back and remember, okay, I don't want to go back every time I forget my shopping bag, especially because we know how crowded and how often the Montreal Orange Line does get in downtown and how often it stops. And if you're doing this in the middle of winter, it's not fun. So it's like, it'll be a second habit. Whenever I go out anywhere, I always have my bag that's prepared. I make sure I've got like my grocery bags that I need. I've got produce bags that I need. Now with COVID-19, I'm getting it delivered. And it's really cool because I'm seeing some stores and they're making the effort of using paper bags. So it's a lot more sustainable or even just boxes versus plastic bags. So it's helping out a lot because these things can be easily recycled. And if not recycled, they return back to the earth as compost. I'm actually kind of upset about the city of Montreal because they don't do enough to compost here. And it's something that's very important because when food is sent to a landfill, it just rots. It doesn't have the air circulation to breathe and to decompose. And then it creates more CO2 that gets into the ozone and in the environment versus like when it's sent to the compost where it has the air and the heat and the circulation that it breaks down and you've got these rich soils back again you've got like that rich compost that's needed that returns to the earth and you know not a lot of people are aware of this like they just think oh i don't care wherever it composts it has to compost anyways and i'm like no it's not just that there's a whole process behind it and like you were saying it matters where you do it because you don't have the same like release as you would if it was like in a real compost and you can also use it for recycling your food and stuff like that exactly something that like i i follow this one YouTuber and it's really really interesting because he shows how the Netherlands have worked things I'm not saying the Netherlands is the best country but they are really really good with what they do because he shows how for one the urban development has been implemented in the Netherlands and most Dutch people lead bike everywhere. And a lot of people are like, well, you can't make Montreal bike friendly. You can't do that because there are winters. And I look at them and I'm like, the amount of times I've biked in winter in Montreal here and the amount of people that I know that bike in winter here in Montreal, it's doable. It's just people are stubborn. Uh, it's a new concept. The way that I see it is that the streets and the roads should be made for people, not cars. And so you see this in the Netherlands. When I was there, it was really cool to see how everyone had their turn across the street to go with bike, to go with tram, to go like... And cars are the last priority. It's really, really cool to see. But here in Canada, cars are the first priority. And then 
everything else comes afterward. And I think, you know, we should switch our mentality because there's people that uh, maybe they don't want to have a car. Maybe they don't want to be stuck in traffic. Maybe they just, you know, they'd rather get some exercise while going to work. And a lot of people have told me, oh, you can't bike during the rain. You can't bike uh, to work. And I'm telling you, it is very possible. The Netherlands does it. Denmark does it. Sweden, who has winters like us, they do it. Like, it is completely possible. It's just putting your mind to it and getting the right infrastructure, getting the right uh, uh, design built. Mm -hmm. Same for public transportation. I feel like there's a lot to be done here because although the metro system is ridiculously good, I feel like it's very fast, it's clean, it doesn't have as many issues as the metro system in Paris or in Boston where it breaks down and sets on fire. You know, it's just that it's not going everywhere. You basically have to take a bus, take the metro, and then take another bus if you want to go somewhere. So if they expanded those lines, make it also as efficient as the ones we have, then people will be more encouraged to go places. Like, why would we have five lines? For me, I don't understand how we've got all this island and, like, you see the metro and it doesn't even cover half the island. It just covers, like, the center of the island. So, like, when you want to go to, like, West Island or Anjou, you've got to take a bus. And we all know the buses here, they're not always reliable. So no. if you're in like weather like today, where it's only minus five Celsius today, it's not terrible. But if you're waiting for like 40 minutes for a bus, then I mean, it's annoying, especially during That's COVID time. Yes. It's like you've got nowhere to warm up. So it's, it's really difficult. I also feel like it's annoying for the weekends because although we have some express buses and those are usually on time because they've created like like new lanes for buses for these purposes to go downtown but i feel like since it doesn't run on weekends like it deters people from having a metro bus in the, in the beginning because like you would want to go at the party on the weekends but then you have to wait an hour for your bus which is not coming often because people don't work on weekends then you're like well then i have nothing to do yeah like uh, it really defeats the purpose like in the summer actually most days most months i never buy a monthly metro pass because i just don't need it especially like where i'm living I can easily walk or bike to the grocery store or have my groceries delivered that I really don't need a metro pass and now that I'm working from home don't need it but even before I was working from home like when I was going to the work in the actual office and whatnot I would bike I would walk even in winter because it's like well I'd rather get the exercise, get the fresh air and, you know, save some money, especially because like, it's not terrible in Montreal when you compare it to like other cities, but I mean, it's getting up there. It's a scary fact. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about getting your groceries delivered. So does the guy come by car, by truck or does he come by bike? So my groceries, they get delivered by car and often it's a female, which I have to say is a great thing because it's rare to see like, you know, female bus drivers, female uber drivers female grocery delivers so like to see more of that i have to say it's such a positive um thing because you're seeing how the world is changing and how women are stepping up to positions of power and I'm like yeah yeah like i'm a guy and i'm just like yeah this is happening i'm very happy <laughs> right like i um remember once i was uh talking with my friend from jamaica like i'm getting on the bus and i see uh not only a woman but a person of color right which i'm like holy crap we're moving up in the world like i mean i'm a person of color myself and so when i see people that are like more like me and they're moving up in the world it's like it's such a good feeling of how progressive this country is becoming it's not to say that we don't have issues we still have our issues that we still have to go through but it's such a good 
thing to see now. It's very interesting how you see bus drivers as big in power because when we usually have this discussion about gender equality in the workplace, they usually refer to business positions as in like CEO females or maybe managers being females and managing other guys or especially in the STEM fields such as science. Like now we see like women being at the head of a labs. But like like you were saying, like we don't think about it. But like the other day I was also um, passing on the street just taking my walk and usually, you know, like the garbage truck they come in and it's usually guys and I saw a girl doing that and I'm like wow well she's actually like muscular and she's she's doing her thing and she has this like feminine ponytail and she can just make it because like who's to say it's a gendered job it's true we have more men doing being garbage collectors than female but it's not because you don't have the muscles that you should not be allowed to do that like whatever proves you to have the force and the energy to do it no matter what gender you are you should be able to have access to that job exactly like i fully believe that you know men and women should be paid equally for the same job and that uh, there should be no discrimination based on anything it should be this is my qualifications for the job can you do it yes or no yes the shameful things that people are scared to talk about salary and about how much they make that's how we stay in the shadow you know a lot of people don't ever disclose how much they make to their family to their friends because they're scared of comparison they're scared of jealousy and stuff like that but if we're not ashamed if we're not taboo about how much money we make then we would see that there's still gender pay inequalities oh for sure and i think that that's something that we have to break down there's a lot of barriers that uh, we have to break down when it comes to gender equality quality when it comes to sexual orientation equality when it comes to racial equality and there's so many things that we have to get to the root of and it's not going to happen overnight it's impossible but uh, if we can start you know chipping away at it chipping away at the surface just to figure out ways to improve it and find those gaps and you know start filling the gaps mm-hmm. it definitely starts with acknowledging it and not just like hiding behind things that like you were mentioning feel comfortable to us and that's how people get get scared of change because they just feel like this is okay so like what do you want to do with it and it's definitely a mentality that's a little more progressive in Canada but in some parts of the country or in some parts of the world people are very reluctant to change exactly like I mean one of the things that I've noticed about Canadian culture is there's no drive for improvement because Canadians think we're doing better than the states that's good enough and it's something that I really don't like to see because it's like well it's not good enough why is it that uh you know in canada we're paying some of the highest cell phone fees here and wi-fi fees when i was in europe i could get a cell phone for 10 euros a month for 10 gigabytes like you can't get that in canada it's impossible to get that here the fact that lots of universities are free in other parts of the world whereas here you're having to pay a fortune and i mean it's still not as terrible as the states but it's still like why education should be free because if the population is educated they'll be able to grow the economy they're going to be able to improve the country and then once the country is being improved and able to do very very well and i'm not saying canada's not doing very well but if it could improve that much more then think about what other inventions that we could invent think about what more we could do and uh, how we could help other countries that aren't doing that well I agree. Education and healthcare. I feel like those are the two basic fundamental rights that if you're born into a country, let, let's have that. 
as a basis to sustain that population because we're not asking for much like health and education is what's going to move forward versus like having to fight for your health then your energy gets wasted rather than focusing on something else that could actually improve science or make technology work better communicate better be better teachers i feel like worrying about basic things should not be part of a first world country so it's very very interesting because when i went to uh, guadeloupe i saw a lot a lot of like closed pharmacies and hospitals and i just didn't know what like do you know what's going on and why are they decrepit and abandoned no it's um it's something that uh i really would like to know i know that uh the hospitals there's countries that have them and they're open and others where it's like they're such a scarce thing and it shouldn't be like that i think everyone should have access to medical care because we can't control what goes on with our bodies. We can try, but you know, life happens. We should be able to have education. It's something that we should be able to control. We should be able to keep on learning daily. And it's something that I don't find we're doing as a country. I'm really happy to see like, you know, in Montreal that there's so many universities and like I know so many people that are getting their degrees. I would love to get my degree, but the thing that stops me is money and it's something that it's like well i don't want to be in debt for a piece of paper i i would rather go to another country get my citizenship there and then study for free uh, it would just make a lot more sense mm -hmm. so what's your plan about being an urban planner what country are you going to do that in so i was thinking about germany but i also wouldn't mind the netherlands and the reason why i'm choosing these two countries is because these two are very well known some of the best projects come from there as well as quality of the education and the culture it's really cool not to mention the fact that it's super easy to get around which don't get me wrong montreal is easy to get around but we're talking like like the Netherlands rarely gets snow in winter. It's a very rare thing. So it's more rain and I can deal with rain. I don't like the snow. I'm not built for the snow. I don't mind seeing it like today. It's beautiful. But if I have to walk out in there, I'm going to be complaining the entire walk. So I'd rather like, you know, be enjoying like, you know, rain. Mm -hmm, definitely agree with that. It seems like you're talking a lot about efficiency in your speech, whether it be about food, about education, about environment. Do you think like every time you give an example of a culture, do you think it's related culture versus efficiency? Like some culture more chill and more disorganized versus some other culture are definitely more efficient and you know, like time is money sort of. And you being from coming from so many different diverse backgrounds, where do you find yourself in being efficient yet you're also like the most chill guy that I know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's very funny. Like I think it's, it's finding that balance, right? I'm very punctual as Dutch people are known to be, but I'm also very laid back like Caribbean and people are known to be so right. it's a very hard question to answer i will admit that but i definitely think that you know if we could find that balance by doing what can be efficient so that we can be laid back and not have to worry like i was taught by my grandmother take your time but do it efficiently but do it fast and so what it meant was take your time to understand it but don't dawdle all day so that you can enjoy the rest of your day it's true there's so many important things but yet when you look at life how absurd it 
decided that we spend so much time, for example, tying our laces every day. Why does it have to be done perfectly to fucking laces? Right? Like it makes <laughs> no sense. I stopped that years ago. I've got slip on shoes. I don't have the time. I'd rather be like, you know, they're on, I'm out the door. Thank you for all your time. And would you happen to have a last piece of advice for listeners? Yeah. Um, my last piece of advice is go out into the world and do well, but more importantly, go out into the world and do good. This is a, actually a Native American proverb that I, I'm trying to remember fully. We are not given Mother Earth. We are borrowing it from our grandchildren and we must maintain it for our great-grandchildren. Wonderful. Okay, thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. It's been super enriching. I like hearing about your stories and your culture. I hope your family is well. And I hope to see you soon on this podcast. Oh, for sure. I love uh, that I'm able to be an honored guest on your podcast. I've listened to your episodes. I think they're really great. And so the fact that you kind of chose me, I think that's just very special. So thank you again. And uh, I wish you all the best for 2021 as well. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Education Monsters. I hope you liked it. If you'd like to take a French lesson with me, don't hesitate to go on the Education Monsters website to book a class. I'll be super happy to get to know you and we can practice languages together. Don't forget to subscribe to the website and you'll get a notification when a new blog article comes out. Last but not least, please, please, please consider making a donation to my Patreon account. This education project means so much to me and I'll greatly appreciate it if I can have your support. Thanks again and I'll see you for the next episode on Thursday.